You are listening to Haftorah, the Shir series where we explore the connections between the Parsha Shavua and its corresponding Haftorah. Near the database of the Rabbi Yeshua Eisenberg, this week's Parsha is Parsha's Pinchas. However, as was mentioned in the previous two Haftorah Shiurim, the Haftorah that we'll be reading for this week is not the Haftorah for Parsha's Pinchas, but it will be the Haftorah for Parsha's Matos. Why exactly is that? So, until now, we have sought to investigate the fundamental relationship between each Parsha Shavuah and its corresponding Havtarah, as we say in every single shir. And thereby, we try to glean whatever lessons can be learned from each pairing. What does the Havtarah add to the Parsha Shavuah? Is it responding? Is it reflecting on the Parsha Shavuah? Is it complementing the Parsha Shavuah? Is it giving a new perspective? But from this shir and on, I would say, moving towards the rest of the Havtarahs of the summertime, our goal actually shifts. Our project changes here at Haftarah, as the next several Haftarahs make up a new series of Haftarahs, whose goal is not to reframe the themes of the Parsha Shavua. Is that to say that there are no connections at all? I wouldn't necessarily say that, but what's evident is that when Chazal, when our Mesorah put together the Haftarahs for this season, they did not directly have the Parsha Shavua in mind, they had a larger goal in mind, a goal that they felt was more relevant. Now, you might think there's nothing more relevant than seeing what the Parsha says to us, the Parsha speaks to us at all times, but apparently Chazan wanted us to know that the times of perhaps tragedy, and as we're going to see, hopefully consolation, comfort, those particular emotions, those feelings, those attitudes are reflected in the season itself, and we are supposed to latch on to those attitudes, and we focus more directly on those things. And yes, those can emerge from the Parsha as well, but apparently we're supposed to be focusing on the season and the emotions that were supposed to manifest during the season as well. And with that, there has been a greater focus, a greater emphasis in the Haftarah, which apparently, again, Chazal saw as being even more of primary importance, of greater priority than the mere Parsha Shavuah. And I use that, again, um, in quotes, the uh, because the Parsha Shavuah, not to minimize it, um, but to say that Chazal wanted us to be in tune to the emotions before even the Parsha Shavuah. And this, so this is the case, as since Chorban Bayes Sheni, right, the destruction of the second base of Migdash, Chazal instituted ten special Haftaros, to be read between Shavasar Patamas and Rosh Hashanah. And the first three of those ten Haftaros are going to culminate with Tishabav, and they are known as the Talas de Paranusa, either the three of affliction or the three of tragedy or the three of misfortune. But we have the first mini-series again this week, um, which is again Haftarah of Matos, which falls out on the week of Pinchas, whenever Parshas Pinchas takes place after Shavasar Batamas, then we immediately begin the Talasa de Paranusa, the Three of Affliction. We'll talk about what the next seven are afterwards. Um, of course, um, on a year when Tishabav takes, when uh, Shavasar Batamas takes place um, uh, before, I should say, well, when, when Pinchas takes place before Shavasar Batamas, then we read the Haftarah of Pinchas, which we spoke about two Haftarah a ago. But on a year like this, a regular year, when Shivasar Batamas takes place after Pinchas, 
So, um, so then we, or sorry, again, it takes place before Pinchas. So then we start the Tlas de Paranusa, which is the Haftar of our Parshas Matos. Parshas Masse is the second. And then Devarim is the third of Paranusa. It is also known as Shabbos Chazon, which we will get to. Um, this, uh, the, and so the, those seven subsequent Haftar that we referenced earlier, which finished by Rosh Hashanah, those are known as the Sheva de Nechamasa. Those are the seven of consolation. Now, obviously, through these Haftaras, the intended goal is for us to devote our attention to an apparently more pressing issue, if we can call it that, of the time period, that of the Chorban. And perhaps along the way, we might notice, again, some hidden connections to the Sidious. But for now, in accordance with this apparently higher goal, we're going to turn to the Chorban, the destruction of the Besamekdash, and these Haftaras themselves, to see what it is that Chazal wanted us to pay attention to during this sensitive time period. And with that, we turn to the Haftarah for Parshas Matos, again, the first of the Tlas de Paranusa, which comes to us from the very beginning of Sefer Yirmiya, which is Perak Aleph, Pasuk Aleph, and goes all the way to Perak Beis, Pasuk Gimel, as we dedicate this shir, Lili Nishmas, Imim Rasi, Chai Rachel, Bastavutzi, Harenik, Bars, Mishkav, Harenisham, Shedhav, Aliyah. Now, perhaps when we think of this series of Avtaros, the three of affliction, the three of misfortune, as a preparation for the Chorban of Tishabov, we might envision a passage of rebuke, an admonition from a prophet, from a Navi, addressing the people directly about the destruction to come, bringing their attention to the error of their ways. Right? That's likely what we'd have expected, and rightfully so. Indeed, all of that does eventually make its way into this series, However, none of that appears in this Haftarah, per se. In the first of the Tlusta Pernusa, we have basically no conversation between prophet and nation. Now, why should that be? And if there is no message being conveyed between the prophet and the nation, then what is the takeaway message for us, the current audience? So that's something to think about while we perhaps also reflect on just the point that Paragolif of Yermia was the Sephardic Haftarah for Parsha Shemos. Now, for the Ashkenazic Haftarah, we read from Yeshaya, a completely different story. But in the Sephardic tradition, it would seem that this is a Haftarah that gets repeated. And its message for the intended audience now is a little bit different from what we found in Shemos. You can go back to the archives and listen to the Haftarah Shir for Shemos. We spoke about both Haftarahs, the Ashkenazic and Sephardic tradition. But now we return to the Tlas de Paranusa. So, what exactly is the message for us here at this time of, of, the, of the year? So rather than beginning with a conversation of rebuke between Navi and people, we begin with a conversation behind the scenes. Conversation between Hashem and Yirmiyah about Yirmiyah who's chosen this for the task of being the, bad new, the bearer of bad news, right? the one who has to break the bad news of the looming Babylonian exile, Golas Bavel, to Klal Yisrael. And that's how Sefer Yirmiyah begins. And it does provide some basic helpful background for the admonition to come. However, is that the only purpose which this Haftarah serves? Is it just an introduction, mere background to that which is going to follow? I would say that perhaps there is a crucial point that's being conveyed at the beginning of Yirmiyah, a message that's important for us, the audience, that could only best be conveyed, and perhaps only appropriately be conveyed, through the private conversation between Hashem and Yirmiyah. What do I mean? So perhaps there is a nerve that could only be hit 
when we listen from the side as spectators, as almost eavesdroppers, and not as the direct recipients of a full-out tirade. What would that message be? And we could differentiate in our minds between when someone is yelling at us versus when in what looks like the privacy of their own Daladamos in a conversation with someone else, what they're saying behind our backs and we get to hear when we're privy to that information. As one gets to the text itself, one might recall seeing the Saftar earlier, as we mentioned, right? But we said again that this was the Svaradik Haftar for Shmos. And in, we defended this Haftar selection, Shmos, with some help from the Art Scrolls Stone Edition Chumash by suggesting various parallels between Hashem's selection of Moshe Rabbeinu and Hashmos and Hashem's selection of Yermia. Both Moshe and Yermia were what we might call reluctant prophets, as sometimes you find, I believe, in Art Scroll, prophets who were not really excited to do what they were told to do. Each one was not exactly confident in his ability to speak. We see Yermia communicating that much in Pasuk Vav. Of course, Moshe said that several times. Hashem reassures each Navi that he's going to be with them. We might also suggest that, like Moshe Rabbeinu, Yermia also received visual signs from Hashem in preparation for his mission. If you look at Psukim Yudalf through Tezayin in Yermia, in that very first parak, we find Hashem giving Yermia signs. We know that Hashem gave Moshe signs as well. Certainly makes for a pretty decent Haftarah for Shemos. But does this comparison between Moshe and Yermia maybe bear relevance to our time period? So, as, our, as far as our first question goes, I think there is something quite stirring about a conversation, a private conversation between Hashem and the Navi. As we've mentioned, Yermia is not looking forward to this mission. But as we pointed out back in Shmos, Yermia's reluctance is actually quite different from Moshe's reluctance for a key reason. For whatever reason Moshe was hesitant, Moshe was ultimately charged to go with the goal of encouraging and ultimately freeing the Bnei Israel from their exile. What about Yermia? He, on the other hand, is being charged to do the exact opposite. He's being told he's going to rebuke them, to warn them about oncoming exile, suffering. Nobody wants to do that. But it is this hesitance, perhaps, which speaks volumes about the gravity of the situation. In general, you know that something is the matter when a person in your life has a hard time telling you what he or she needs to tell you. Right? It's one thing if they're yelling at you to your face, right? When they're not afraid to say it. And then you wonder, is it a big deal? Is it not a big deal? This person's certainly making a big deal of it. But whether I'm to make a big deal about it, I mean, that's for me to decide. Maybe I'll tell this person to bug off and get off my back. Right? But what if they are not talking straight to your face? And what if they don't want to be the one to tell you and you are aware of that? Right? Then you know something is wrong. You know that the process is going to be difficult and challenging when special preparations must be made just for conveying the news of the process. In fact, in some ways, I would say this preparation for breaking the news is scarier than the breaking of the news itself. That's because the news itself can only be as bad as the audience receives it, right? The news can only be as scary as the messenger and speaker makes it sound in front of his audience. Perhaps there's going to be hyperbole. Maybe there will be scare tactics. Maybe the person's going to yell really, really loud. But not here. 
Here in our Haftorah, we become the witnesses of a conversation behind closed doors where there are no such theatrics involved. There's no exaggeration. We just hear how genuinely bad the situation is. It's like a doctor preparing to relay a painful prognosis and even more painful of a procedure to come. The doctor has no intentions of sugarcoating the message in any which way. Here, it is Hashem telling Yeremia simply what will happen and what he must tell the people. It just is what it is. It's bad. Again, perhaps we can try to ignore it when we're being yelled at directly. We could brush it off and shrug it off. But when we're afforded the opportunity to watch the innocent rehearsal and experience the genuine fear, we cannot help but learn how bad it really is. And it's really bad. But exactly how bad is it? Put things into perspective, the Haftarah tells us that Hashem makes Yirmiyah into a fortified city so that he could stand up against the Bnei Yehuda. And while at first glance that sounds like it should be a comforting thought, right? Hashem says, Yirmiyah, you can do this. Our tradition suggests just the opposite message about fortification. I think back to Parashat Shalach. And Chazal tell us that when the Miraglim were seeking out the strength of the nations in the Promised Land in Eretz Yisrael, the presence of fortified cities is a sign of weakness of sorts. As Rashi explains, citing the Tanchum over there, take a look at Bamidbar, Perak Yud Gimel, Pasuk Yud Ches, Rashi there cites the Medrash Tanchumah. That's because the need for fortification shows the need for such reliance. It is a sign that, although Hashem explicitly tells Yermia not to be afraid, but there certainly is something to be afraid of. We're watching Hashem prepare Yirmiyah for the absolute worst. And indeed, it does get worse. In our second question, we asked if there's any significance behind our parallels between Yirmiyah and Moshe in Shemos and the current time period. And in light of the famous heart-wrenching Kina, which we will recite on Tisha B'av, hopefully we will not have to. But if things go the way that they've been going for the past several hundred years, several thousand years, We'll be reciting a kino called Eish Tukad Bekirbi. And it seems that there is much greater significance behind these parallels when we consider, at this particular juncture, the song which infamously, infamously compares and contrasts our exodus from Egypt, B'tseisim in Mitzrayim, with our exile from Yerushalayim, B'tseisim Yerushalayim. If we think about Tisha B'av, in its roots, the Chedim Araglim, the exile which we mourn at this time represents a complete undoing of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim of the Exodus. In the Piyat itself, the song contrasts between the Shira with which Moshe led the Bnei Israel, with the verses of the lamentation of Eicha, the Kinos of Yermia. But like the conversation between Hashem and Yermia, this song too is not just hyperbole or powerful imagery which in a certain sense it is, but it's exactly what it is. It is fundamentally the reversal of our exodus to an exile. Based on this comparison between the exodus and the exile, it's quite poignant that the Saftarah ends with a direct reference to the actual event of the Etzias Mitzrayim, which Moshe was charged to deliver us from, and yet Yermia is telling us about the opposite. The final psukim in our Haftarah conclude with the famous verse of Yirmiyah 
Parag Beis, Pasag Beis, Zacharti Lach Chasen Yerayach, Abbas Kuli Yasayach, Lech Teich Acharai B'Midbar, Beretz Lo I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your marriage, when you followed me into a desert, in a land that is not sown. A land that's not sown. In all of this, there is some painful irony. As our very Sidros at the end of Sefer Bamidbar are dealing with the Bnei Israel's preparation to actualize their redemption by entering the promised land once and for all. And yet the Saftar, like the Gauls itself, turns us in the exact opposite direction. So as we begin this painful journey through the Telesta Paranusa, we have two important takeaways I would say for now. Number one is the gravity of the matter. Simply put, it's not going to be easy. And that's the nature of exile. By this Haftarah, we're not even being yelled at yet. We're just hearing it like it is. If we don't take the matter seriously, then Chas Vashalm, the worst is yet to come. Number two, I would say is that as bad as it looks, our Haftarah does leave us off with a message of hope. Yes, Gullus from Yerushalayim marks the reversal of our highest moments, our Geula from Mitzrayim. But that memory of our exodus is not merely here to serve as a frame of reference for the extreme shift that comes with exile. No, I believe that the memory represents an ideal which we hope to reach again. It represents where we can be if we truly want to be close to Hashem. It represents where we can choose to be if we take Hashem seriously. Even if the worst is yet to come, the Novi provides this silver lining to tell us that although things are looking bad, they really don't have to be. So we should all be zochet to truly take Hashem's warning seriously and consider where we can improve. And Hashem should reverse our exile with a new exodus in the form of that final geula and the becoming of Mashiach Tzidkenu V'mheri V'meinu. And as always, if you enjoyed the share and others like it on the podcast and want to partner with us with a sponsorship or for questions, comments, concerns, or recommendations, or you want to join the database podcast WhatsApp group where you'll find links that are uploaded share and links to share them that I repost due to their relevance, then all you have to do is reach out to me at thedatabase at gmail.com. That's the database, B-E-I-S at gmail.com. But as at the moment of this recording, it is Still, Leil Shabbat Batamas, I'm wishing you an easy and meaningful fast, and a fast, a, a, a tainus of Hisaurus towards the Teshuvah, and towards the reversal of the Gullus, and of course, have a wonderful rest of your week, and a wonderful Shabbos. Thank you for joining us here at the Database.